right, guys, welcome back to another I'm in Tech podcast. As promised before, we are covering the, the Wealth Choice book. All right, The Secret Habits of Black Millionaires. This is part four. Um, in the last video, we talked about some of the habits of black millionaires that set them apart from the average person. So if you missed our previous show, you definitely want to check that out. So we're continuing um, going through this book. If you want a copy of this book, it is available on Amazon, but I'm using a free copy I got off uh, archive.org. So let me change how that looks. All right. So starting where we left off at discipline number four is creativity and innovation. I believe we covered that last time. So let's cover, we covered uh, never considered a possibility of failure. Let's talk about discipline number six, which is inquisitive, a strong desire to know and quick to absorb new information. So there we go. All right, it says, during the time when society's reading habits wane, both at home and in school, and as television viewing steadily increases, the wealthy shun this wasteful habit and continue their never-ending quest to grow, study, and absorb new information. So many people fail to increase their earnings because they don't make financial literacy a priority. According to the Nielsen Wire, the global leader in consumer insights, the average African-American household spends more than seven hours each day, 40% more than the overall population, and nearly nine times that of the average black millionaire watching television. So here we have it right here. <laughs> this is uh, you know, not a good thing. Um, so they're saying that black people spend, you know, nine times, you know, the average amount of time that millionaires spend watching television. So that's a huge problem. The wealthy, however, read nearly two books per month and the genre, mostly history, biographies, or money management. Basically any subject or topic that might provide advice, useful information, or cautionary tales. As you've learned by now, a formal education is not required to join the seven-figure club. Truth be told, a handful of the multimillionaires in the study never ventured past the 10th grade. Although I found these men and women to be no more gifted than others, each had developed an insatiable desire for knowledge and information. They stand out because they had taken the time to prepare, to read and study, and to develop their full potential without the benefit of formal education. Growing up in the housing projects of Omaha, Nebraska, neighbors told Nathaniel Goldston that he would never rise above anything more than a head waiter. 30 years later, Goldston, the chief executive officer of Gourmet Food Services, GFS, was in charge of a company that passed $170 million mark. It mattered not who or what stood in his path, not ridicule, poverty, or the possibility of humiliating defeat would deter him. Over the course of my career, I felt more times than I can count, Goldstone admitted during our interview. And each time, failure has always rendered a special gift. It's called wisdom. So if at first you don't succeed, welcome to the club.
Affirming a commitment to wealth means becoming a student of wealth. You must learn the language of money. It means living by this maxim. If you wish to be wealthy, you must acquire, you must study the acquisition of wealth. The millionaires among us are inquisitive. Their curiosity propels them forward. They take classes to augment their financial literacy and ask for advice from those who are where they want to be. The wealthy possess a voracious hunger for knowledge and absolutely no appetite for ignorance. So there you have it, people. Um, in order to become wealthy, we must become students how wealth is acquired. Okay, so it doesn't have to be, um, you know, formal education, a bachelor's degree in science. It doesn't have to take five years for you to figure this out. But you, we as a people, especially black people, not only do we need to be concerned about um, our nine to five, having a job, retiring, 401k, all of those things are great, but we also need to study how wealth is acquired. So that is discipline number six. Discipline number seven, strong sales skills. Sell is not a four letter word. Millionaires not only openly engage in the sales process, they embrace the activity. Although some may detest being labeled a salesperson, those profiled in this study are proud of the term. Why? Because the selling process is the most effective and efficient way to increase your earnings and reach your financial goals. In short, sales equals income. The black financial elite are thoroughly prepared, completely engaged, sales professionals tough enough to deal with any rejection, resilient enough to overcome any objection, and caring enough to help customers and clients achieve their goals. For this special group, selling takes on a positive, proactive, and even creative aura. It provides continual opportunities to understand real customer needs, to be responsive to changes in the market, and to create value, a subject I touch upon in chapter five. The wealthy know that selling is not just a business skill, but an essential life skill. They live by this mantra. Nothing occurs until somebody sells something, nothing. Hear me loud and clear. There is no way to avoid it. Wealth creation requires effective sales skills. Barbara Smith has always had big dreams, but more important, thanks in part to her convincing sales skills, she has made those dreams a reality. When she was barely 20 years old, driven by her deep love for fashion, Smith auditioned numerous times for Ebony Fashion Fairline before convincing Eunice Johnson, the wife of publisher John H. Johnson and director of the annual traveling tour, that her looks and grace could entice top European designers. Her persuasiveness paid off. As she strolled down the runway, her artistry, her artistry and her authenticity convinced French and Italian fashion icons that not only should black women be in their shows, but women of color should be in their clothes. After landing a position with the Chicago-based Couture Trend Center, Ebony Fashion Fair, Smith moved to New York, the heart of the fashion world, where she had a rewarding career as an international runway, print, and commercial model. In 1976, Smith, the first Black woman to do so, landed the cover of Mademoiselle magazine. Most models retire by age 30, but Smith continued working and kept her sights on loftier goals, pursuing another childhood love food. Smith learned the restaurant business at night and modeled during the day, although she had intended to create a lifestyle brand. The end result was clear. A multimedia empire that includes two books and two television shows, 
Be Smith with style and be smart tips for a better life. That air in a variety of markets. It's taken me longer, she probably asserts, but I've done it my way and the business is 100% African-American owned. At last count, Smith's products and licensing produced $75 million in annual sales. This one-time high-priced fashion model clearly knows how to sell her ideas, and that's the millionaire's brilliance. Every millionaire brings his or her own unique talents, knowledge, and experience to a business venture, but all, in one way or another, sell. They sell themselves, their concepts, their business plans, their products or services, even their hopes and dreams. Clearly, if you hope to join this most influential body, this overlooked skill must become your most practiced and prized asset. As a participant in an Atlanta, Georgia focus group told me, marketing, promotion, and advertising no longer provide the path to growth. If you hope to generate a million dollar income, you must win the war in the marketplace by mastering the art of one-on-one -on -one selling. You must be able to sell your story as well as your experience, your mission, and your expertise. So there you have it. That is discipline number seven. Your most practiced asset, your most valuable asset is your ability to sell. So that's one thing that all of these millionaires are proud of. They, they can deal with any objections, any criticism. They're, they're proud of their products they're, and they're creative and they're unstoppable when it comes to sales. So that's something that everybody needs to learn. Um, if you're going into business, you're involved in selling yourself, even if you're working, that is a form of selling, right? Because if you're working for a company and you are producing certain results, then they will give you more money because you're, you know, selling a product for them or you're um, helping their customers. You're doing something that involves sales. So this is an essential skill, something that I always kind of shied away from. Um, but now that I'm getting older, I realize how important this skill is. So that was discipline number seven. Discipline number eight is savings, thrifty and frugal in nature. Raised by his mother in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Usher Raymond is a prime example of a young man of modest means making good. His parents split when he was an infant and he has not had much contact with his father since then. His mother remarried and gave birth to another son, James. While working as a medical claims examiner, her oldest son began performing with the local group. The first to gauge his innate talent, she decided to expose him to more opportunities and moved the family to Atlanta, Georgia, then the center of a humming new urban music scene. One year later, after singing in a star search contest, Usher signed with BMG's LaFace Records, which was headed by Antonio L.A. Reed. Usher's debut album, released in 1994, sold more than 500,000 copies. Three years later, Worldwide sales of his second album reached five million and allowed the performer to cash his first major check for a million dollars through a deal with EMI Music Publishing. The young man had just turned 17. Today, Usher sits atop the hip hop and R&B music scene. His music is downloaded worldwide. He tours internationally, performs in sold out venues. He stars in films and rubs shoulders with Hollywood legends and dates supermodels. Still in his thirties, he has everything he could ever want. He lives in a $2.8 million hideaway mansion and owns a state in the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers, occupying a courtside seat and high-fiving other stars and celebrities. To date, his record company, Sony BMG, has paid him more than $20 million. 
In 2005, he grossed more than 20 million on a 64 city tour and made deals to star in movies, commanding a salary of 8 million each. On top of that, he renegotiated his music contract, securing a pretty much non-refundable advance of more than 50 million. But this story is not about a young superstar or the next king of pop, nor should you, the reader, be concerned with one man's lack of wealth, excess, and comfort that few have ever experienced. No. This eighth discipline centers on a simple question addressed to those who wish to enter the hollow gates of affluence and prosperity. Yes, Usher has grown quite wealthy very fast, but will he stay wealthy? Falling prey to the trappings of notoriety, success, fast cars, expensive homes, and large entourages, young entertainers lose their fortunes as fast as they make them. Over-the-top spending, shoddy financial advice, or dealings with shady handlers can leave them broke even before their brief fame ends. But let me be clear, I am not to judge. Usher is entitled to spend his money as he pleases. He has settled on a chosen profession and is a firm believer in his talents and abilities. Though he makes succeeding look easy, he has fought hard for every inch of ground he has covered. He deserves to reap his rewards and the fruits of his effort. And now, thanks in part to his team of advisors who constantly drill the basic tenets of thrift and frugality this A-list performer vows to keep his spending under control. During our initial meeting, says Ruben McDaniel, Usher's investment advisor and head of Jackson Securities in Atlanta, he was running through his money so fast it frightened him. But then Usher confided, I don't want to be some old washed-up performer singing in lounges for the rest of my life. I know I have the talent to entertain. I just want to be a great businessman. He solemnly pledged that he will never be broke. From there, we developed a strategy that will place him on solid ground, fixed income investments, blue chip stocks and real estate, and consuming less than 10% of his total earnings. This plan, as well as other investment opportunities, will create and maintain his earnings long after anyone cares to hear him sing or watch him dance. We got him to buy into the philosophy, if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. And now he applies the same outlook to all his business ventures. When, like any smart money manager, Usher was ready to diversify, he turned to a catter of mentors, Dick Parsons of Citigroup, former basketball great Magic Johnson, and hip-hop moguls Russell Simmons and Sean Puffy Combs, individuals who are skilled in all phases of creating wealth. There is no magic formula. These steps call for no extra effort. They call for no personal sacrifice, but few individuals know how to utilize their earnings properly. For example, today, U.S. credit card debt is at an all-time high, $60 billion, and the average family owes more than $7,000. 89% of the U.S. population operates less than four paychecks away from disaster, and nearly one-half of all African Americans will retire on less than $900 per month. McDaniel is a member of the Seven Figure Club because, among other things, he knows the devastation of living beyond your means. Like his fellow millionaires, he thinks deeply before he spends and loathes debt. When it comes to our money, we can earn it, hoard it, spend it, save it, waste it, or worship it. But to deal with it wisely as a means to an end is an education worth his weight in gold. As the book of Matthews instructs, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Thrift and savings are the first steps to prosperity and abundance. More than talent, intellect, education, or skill, the habit of saving is the key to amassing a fortune. 
The philosophy of the wealthy versus the poor proves that the rich invest their money and spend what's left. The poor spend their money and invest what's left. Pay yourself first, black millionaires admonished. The habit of thrift not only opens the door to opportunity, but is a safeguard against our own weaknesses and the tendency to scatter our earnings. It is by the mysterious power of savings that your resources grow, that the loaf is multiplied, that little becomes much, that scattered fragments grow to unity, and that out of nothing comes the miracle of something. Such disciplined habits allow anyone to surprise the world with gifts, even if he or she is poor. Unless you make it a cast iron rule to lay aside a certain percentage of your earnings each week, each month, your dream of financial independence will be just that, a dream. In closing, the lesson is clear. You must learn to save and budget if you hope to join the ranks of those who boast seven-figure incomes. You must understand the concept of compound interest, how it works in your favor when you add money each month into your 401k and hurts you when you pay the minimum on your credit card debt. You must learn that low monthly payments don't equal affordability. You must read the fine print. You must learn to pay cash because cash hurts. You must be aware of the seductive power of marketing and separate your wants from your needs. And finally, if you do nothing but change the way you manage your current income, your life will change for the better. It's not what you earn that makes you wealthy, it's what you keep. So that's another great discipline. Um, saving, saving, saving. Um, this is a habit that you know, I'm still learning, still mastering, um, but just making sure that you save something, um, even if it's $50, $100, $200. And that's the difference between rich people and poor people. So rich people spend most of their money investing and they always make sure they pay themselves first. Poor people spend most of their money on what they want and then they invest what's left over. So those are some key differences and another amazing habit of these black millionaires. Discipline number nine, spirituality, the gospel of wealth. Where do black millionaires draw their inspiration and in turn inspire us? From a close personal relationship with their creator and the belief that the almighty has a plan for their life. This relationship is the elixir the soul craves, the glue that holds spirit and dreams together. An active faith, a faith that provides inner strength on a consistent basis is the first and last order of business of black millionaires. This faith is the language of their heart, the center of a truly, regardless of their millions, humble life. Their deeply personal crusade is not so much the fervor of a come lately Christian, but the steady quest of a peaceful soul bent on doing good and one day hoping to meet their maker. Believe me, the black financial elite have found God not the God we meet every Sunday in church or the power we frequently pray to, but the heavenly father who keeps them standing in good times and in bad, the God who sits high and looks low, the all-knowing, all-seeing spirit they embrace for meaning in their lives, the God who can mold a mere lump of breathing clay, who can chip away and pound us remorselessly to bring out our possibilities, who can strip us of our ego and vanity, who can humble our pride, humiliate our ambition, knock us off the ladder of success, only to eventually lift us to heights and sights unseen. Many of the people we call financially secure have overcome incredible struggles. More than a few have seen everything go up in smoke. Some have endured loss of family and friends, homelessness, bankruptcy, and bouts with depression so horrific, it seems a miracle they survived. At one time, 
nearly all of those surveyed within this study have danced with disaster. Yet it's not a tragedy that forms the essence of great comebacks. It's tenacity, perseverance, and an ever-present abiding faith. Case in point, gospel artist and mega producer Kirk Franklin's road to wealth has been anything but easy. Adopted at age four, Franklin was reared by an aunt, a deeply spiritual woman who scraped up enough money from her monthly social security check to pay for her nephew's piano lessons. It was money well spent. As a child, Franklin was a quick study. A natural musician could sight, read, and play by ear. By age 11, he was leading the adult choir at Mount Rose Baptist Church near Dallas, Texas. But in spite of his religious upbringing, Franklin's rebellious ways got the better of him. Not until a close friend was accidentally shot and killed in his teens did the young musician realize the error of his ways. Hoping to bring an end to his grieving, Franklin channeled his efforts into composing and producing his own music. The result, his debut album, Kirk Franklin and the Family, spent nearly two years on the Billboard gospel charts. Amazingly, few of his tracks crossed over in R&B, the first of his type to do so. Follow-up projects such as Stomp and New Nation, highly charged hip-hop efforts aired on urban radio across the country. As his music leaked to the, top, to the pop charts, Franklin became known as the king of gospel with a lifestyle to match, but fame and adulation would, wouldn't last long. Although more traditional gospel artists paved the way for the blending of gospel with more contemporary sounds, Franklin was dismissed by many in music circles because of his upfront appropriation of hip-hop, R&B, and pop culture. Often critics argued it was difficult to determine whether Franklin was truly singing gospel, at least the old school gospel, our forebears rocked to on Sunday mornings. Though he expanded his artistic reach by producing music with performers such as Mary J. Blige and Bono, by 1998, Franklin's own album sales were impressive. With his influence in decline and faced with fickle fans, it wasn't long before he lost his home, cars, and nearly his marriage. The king of gospel was nearly forced to change his tune. Trapped by material success in a spiritual world, once again, Franklin faced his demons outside of the bright lights. What does it value the man who inherits the world but loses his soul? He asked as he leaned on his favorite biblical verse. Few of us stop to realize and appreciate the undeserved blessings that have been heaped our way. I've been given more than I could ask, but what truly matters? The love of my wife, children, and friends, plus a talent to share. I mean, let's face it, I still wear the finest suits, but that chapter of my life is no longer important. You can only drive one car at a time, no matter how many you own. What kept me going during those down years? Look no further than Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In other, in other words, it's all good. The true character of a man or woman will emerge in the toughest of times, and this may be the greatest lesson for you. Instead of giving in to despair, use the difficulties of the day to strengthen your deepest layer of metal. As the aforementioned profiles underscore, you are urged to work hard, be honest in all business dealings, and trust in the Lord. As one interviewee told me, if you have the faith, God certainly has the power. Why are so many poor spirit? Most of these principles are not startling. In fact, most are common sense. I should also note that not all principles were present or obvious to the same degree in every interview or focus group, but in every case, many, if not most, were clearly visible. 
Furthermore, the application of these principles calls for no formal education. What is required is simply the willingness to listen, learn, and understand that the accumulation of money cannot be left to chance, good fortune, or luck. Sadly, many of the traits that lead to financial success are absent or lacking throughout our society. It's true that the poor will always be among us. And noted lecturer and business writer Brian Tracy explains why. With regard to money and earnings, there are five reasons why so many people remain poor. One, it never occurs to them that they too can be wealthy. Two, if it does occur to them, they never decide to become wealthy. Three, if people do decide to improve their financial lives, they procrastinate, which in turn hastens the obvious. Four, so many individuals lack the ability to delay gratification, spending all that they earn in the process. And five, the majority of men and women operate within a short-term perspective. They think and act day to day. Yes, similar to wealth, poverty begins in the mind. The have-nots and have-not because so many are born poor and expect to remain poor. This is their unvarying trend of thought, their fixed conviction. You doubt me? Walk or travel among have-nots and invariably you will find them discussing poverty, explaining poverty, and bewailing their fate, their hard luck, their cruelty, and the injustice of it all. They walk, it is said, in the shadow of death. They will share how they are ground down and kept down by the upper class, by unsympathetic employers, or by the unjust order of society, despite the fact that limitless abundance and exhaustible supply to meet their needs is just waiting to come to light. It is in the unseen world that humankind, animated and inspired by the consciousness of their partnership with divinity, will find the secrets of wealth and prosperity. No matter how poor you may be, if you hold tight to the right mental attitude and keep your mind fixed on the laws of abundance and prosperity, if you truly believe that you are a child of the creator, the possessor of all things, and him in whom all fullness lies, and that you were not intended for poverty, you will not be poor long. Every discovery, invention, improvement, and achievement, everything that humanity has created for our use and benefit has been preceded by divine intelligence and cosmic thought. Just as the first step in an architect's building is a plan, we too must envision a plan or mental image of the prosperity we desire. The seven laws of wealth that I discuss later are as definite as the laws of gravity, and they work just as unerringly. The stream of plenty flows towards the open mind, the expected mind, toward faith and confidence and away from doubt. It is because the millionaires profiled and researched within the study understand the importance of adhering to these seven laws that there is such a difference between them and the have-nots. If embraced, these laws can spell the difference between poverty and hope, poverty and courage, poverty and the expectation of better days, and poverty and the faithful effort to improve your condition. Surprisingly, so many people point their finger at God when they should be praising him. If the have-nots are to be saved spiritually, it is hope that will save them. If they are to be rescued, it is faith that will lift them above the rising tide if they are to be transformed from rags to riches, it is their thinking that will extend a helping hand. Have we not been instructed, be ye transformed by the renewing of our mind? The Almighty can do for you only what he can do through you. Now hear me out, I beg of you, don't get me wrong. It's so easy to parade the likes of Oprah Winfrey, Bob Johnson, Kathy Hughes, or any of the black billionaires or 35,000 black millionaires who currently operate within the confines of our economic system and explain 
follow their lead, do what they did. They overcame the odds. Indeed, they did. And I, like so many within my community, am ecstatic and brimming with pride as I soak in their accomplishments. However, their achievement doesn't ease the plight of the child born to a single mother living in the inner city. Their success doesn't remove the heartache or the anxiety of the millions who are trapped in impoverished neighborhoods. The question society should address and the focal point of this study is this. Can anyone overcome similar odds if they were born to that poor woman or living in similar circumstances? In other words, instead of asking why these wealth creators made it, I suggest that each of us turn within and ask how they made it. I suggest that you, the reader, turn to biography. Every great and good life is rich in experience and hopeful promise. These numbers of the financial elite chose fields that suited their temperaments and talents. When opportunity arose, every power in their nature came into play. For a group of people who have been in this country for more than 400 years, we Black Americans have yet to claim our divine inheritance. Rather than combating any and all economic barriers to wealth and prosperity, we are unconsciously bred to think of ourselves as victims, quit to point fingers and heap blame on any outside cause that has kept us struck in poverty. When we relish the habit of living on marginal income, spending beyond our means, spurning the need to save, embracing the need to embrace others, forsaking a basic education and justifying an existence within an endless cycle of debt, and liabilities, we don't even realize that we reinforce and strengthen the preconceptions surrounding the lack and limit in our inability to foster and preserve wealth. So I'm gonna stop there. So I'm gonna drop the link. If anybody has any commentary on this, you're welcome to add your commentary. Um, I, I really enjoyed that last part about the fact that we can't just look at people and say, oh, let me just do what they did. We need to be focused on how they did what they did. So they didn't just wake up and become wealthy overnight. They had to change their mindset. Poverty is a mindset, just like wealth is a mindset. So it even says that in the Bible that in order to transform your life, you have to transform your mind. You have to transform the way you think. And a lot of us, have a poverty mindset. We have a, a victim mindset, a defeatist mindset, um, a mindset that has a belief system that says, I'm gonna always be poor, I'm gonna always you know, live check to check, I'm gonna always be um, in a lower class of society. So that's where we have to start. So number one, getting rid of the victim mindset, getting rid of the Poverty mindset, that's the first step. Number two, one of the habits of black millionaires is a deep spiritual connection to God, the universe, or whatever you call it. So a lot of people make the mistake when they think about money, they just strictly think about material things and they completely forget um, that prosperity comes from the spirit. It comes from your energy. So your energy, your consciousness, um, being inspired having inspiration on a daily basis and using that inspiration to drive you. We also talked about um, sales, being able to sell yourself, being able to sell your, your hopes, your dreams, your visions, your plans, your business plans, your services, your talents, your gifts. Every millionaire is an expert salesman. That is your um, most important skill. And we also talked about 
um, saving, how important it is to save. So um, that, that's what we review, you know, really just changing the mindset, getting out of a poverty mindset and getting out of a victim based mindset. Those are some key ways that we can become wealthy and learn from the black millionaires that went before us. So those are some of the highlights that I got out of this book. Again, I'm still very early in the chapter. Um, so nobody clicked the link. So I'm going to stop here. But definitely make sure you guys look up the I'm in Tech podcast on the Apple podcast and Spotify. That's where I post all of these episodes so you can listen to them in the car. And um, I will see you guys in my next video. Peace. Oh, my bad. Um, hold on. Uh, the title of the book is called The Wealth Voice Secrets of Black Millionaires. That's the name of the book. Um, what's up, keeping it plain? Hey, what's going on? How are you feeling today? Feeling good, feeling inspired. Um, definitely learning a lot from this book, taking it in, um, getting out of the poverty mindset, you know, all of that good stuff. <laughs> what about you? You there? Hello? Hello? Not sure what's going on with the audio, but um, yeah, guys, do make sure you check out the podcast on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace.